Former Empire actor Jussie Smollett has been convicted on charges he faked an anti-gay racist attack on himself nearly three years ago and then lied to Chicago police about it. In hindsight, the stage attack was so obviously a hoax. It's hard to believe that so many progressives were completely taken in by it. Unless, of course, they just wanted to believe that America's an awful racist place. I'll give you my take on the verdict in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. Jussie looks like he might be going to prison for a little while here. Uh, Special Prosecutor Dan Webb, following the verdict, said, well, that Jussie did exactly what prosecutors said he did, which is true. During my closing argument, uh, I told the jury that I thought the evidence was overwhelming that in fact Mr. Smollett had faked a hate crime and then lied to the police about it and then compounded his crimes by lying to the jury during the course of this trial and insulting their intelligence. That's what I told the jury in my closing argument. With the resounding verdict we just received from this jury after one day of deliberations in which they found Mr. Smollett guilty of virtually all charges of doing exactly what we said he did of reporting a, a fake crime to the Chicago Police Department as a real crime. That verdict was a resounding message by the jury that, in fact, Mr. Smollett did exactly what we said he did. Exactly what they said he did. It was quite obvious. I mean, this was an overwhelming case. It's pretty remarkable that Jussie and his defense team would even take it to trial, except it's quite clear that they were hoping for some form of jury nullification here. Essentially, someone on that jury for reasons of identity politics or maybe because they like Empire so much or, or they just felt sorry for Jussie, whatever it may be, that they would ignore their duty and ignore the law and let him get away with this, which did not happen. But his defense team, of course, is telling everybody after this verdict came out uh, yesterday evening that they are confident about a win on appeal. Sure. We're obviously very disappointed. Uh, we obviously respectfully disagree with the jury's verdict. The verdict is inconsistent. Uh, you cannot say Jussie is lying and Jussie is not lying for the same exact uh, incidents. So we feel 100% confident that this case will be uh, won on appeal. Unfortunately, that's not the route we wanted. Uh, but sometimes that's the route uh, that you have to take to win especially a case where we remain 100% confident in our client's innocence. I mean, it's just, it's laughable and shameful at the same time, isn't it? Look, we all knew from the very beginning, or should have known, that Jussie Smollett was making this whole thing up. It made no sense. You go through the facts of this, a bunch of, this is MAGA country yelling Trump supporters, finding Jussie Smollett because allegedly his support, or rather his, uh, his support of Democrat causes and his hatred of Donald Trump was so much. No one who supports Donald Trump really in any considerable numbers even knows who this guy is. I work in the media. I'd never even heard of Jussie Smollett before this whole, which isn't that the whole point, right? Now everyone's heard of him. Now he's quite famous. He's quite well known. So. He understood how the dynamics would play out with regard to the attention this would get. 
but not exactly a staging the crime mastermind, right? Not somebody that really thought this through very well. In fact, even Jen Psaki today said lying to the police is shameful about something like a hate crime. I would say that we respect the jury's uh, decision. Lying to the police, particularly about something as heinous as a hate crime, is shameful. Uh, instances of that need to be investigated fully, and those found guilty need to be punished. And false accusations divert valuable police resources away from important investigations. They make it harder for real victims to come forward and be believed. Mm, that's actually true. Lying about a hate crime is a terrible thing to do. It does undermine, there are real hate crimes. There is hate in this country, no question about it. There's just not nearly as much hate and racism and certainly not the frequency of hate crimes the left would like you to believe. And in this case, clearly Jussie just decided to fabricate one for maximum personal benefit at the expense of the nation that had already turned him into something of a celebrity and a millionaire. Not enough for Jussie. He needed more than that. He needed to be the center of national attention, a victim and a hero at the same time. So he lied and made the whole thing up. Who believed him? Who was so stupid that they really thought that the facts of this case could have happened in America? Well, the current president said this on Twitter in 2019, what happened today to Jussie Smollett must never be tolerated in this country. We must stand up and demand that we no longer give this hate safe harbor, that homophobia and racism have no place on our streets or in our hearts. We are with you, Jussie. Yeah, okay. Um, with Jussie in fantasy land, apparently, because nothing actually happened. Oh, Joe Biden's not alone, friends. Kamala Harris is VP, January of 2019. Let's take to Twitter. Jussie Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or the color of their skin. We must confront this hate. Oh, I'm not done, I'm sorry. There's one more we have to put into the mix here. AOC, also January of 2019. There is no such thing as racially charged. This attack was not possibly homophobic. It was racist and homophobic. If you don't like what's happening in our country, work to change it. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, sure. Sugarcoat the rise of hate crimes. Right, the hate crimes are rising so fast that Jussie Smollett and many others have had to fabricate them. Oh, and there were so many reasons why they were pushing this. Um, one of them was that they could turn this into a story about Trump being so evil that he was causing these things. Maxine Waters, back in January 2019, again, when this incident occurred, here she is saying it was Trump's fault that Jussie was fake attacked, mind you. We have to understand this is happening for a reason. Why all of a sudden do we have people unable to study while black, unable to uh, mow a lawn while black, unable to have a picnic while black and being attacked? It's coming from the President of the United States. He's dog-whistling every day. He's separating and dividing. And he is basically emboldening those folks who feel this way, maybe never said it, never talked about it, never could act it out, but now they're on it. And I, when I heard about what had happened to Jesse, and I heard they put a rope around him and they poured bleach on him and stuff, I was absolutely very upset. 
except it never happened. And he made the whole thing up. Yeah, it wasn't like it was wrong reporting. It wasn't something where the facts were a little mixed up in the beginning. He made the whole thing up. Let's also remember though, while on the one hand you have the good here, one, this is hilarious, Jussie Smollett is a joke and the people who supported him and believed him are imbeciles. Also though, more importantly, this was the right verdict. The jury did the right thing. There have been a number of highly politically charged cases recently, the Rittenhouse trial, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, and now Jussie Smollett, where the jury came to the right verdict based on the facts. But let's not forget that the prosecutor in Chicago, Kim Fox, actually had the case against Jussie dropped and tried to seal it. This was back in March of 2019. Jussie Smollett case, Chicago prosecutor, drops all charges against the Empire actor. Yeah, the system, the Democrat system, the identity politics obsessed left had someone that actually tried to make the whole thing go away for him. Yeah, perverting our system of justice for one of their, one of their pals, one of their friends. All right, next we'll take a look at another ongoing trial garnering national attention. Ghislaine Maxwell is accused of procuring young women to perform sexual favors for Jeffrey Epstein. The latest on that trial with best-selling author and producer Dinesh D'Souza is up next when we come back. But I want to tell you about my digital money. The crypto market is hot right now. A lot of people want to get in on the action. There's so many currencies to choose from, Bitcoin, Ethereum. There are lots of digital tokens out there. It's not easy to get started, though. That's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with top-tier customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, and a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. Look, when it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. The federal sex trafficking trial of Ghislaine Maxwell resumed today after abruptly adjourning yesterday with the judge announcing that one of the lawyers in the case was ill and needed medical attention. The 59-year-old Maxwell faces charges of recruiting and helping the late Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse and traffic underage girls. In some cases, she is accused of participating in the abuse. She has denied all charges. Joining me to break this down, uh, all aspects of the trial, is author, filmmaker, uh, best-selling author, and of course, podcast host, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. So this trial, Dinesh, we've had a lot of high-profile trials recently. Media not allowed to have live video coverage, right? The, the judges set different rules for this, and so it's getting far less attention, but it seems like it's not just that has led to a difference in the approach. What have we seen so far? I mean, what's really at issue in this trial beyond the obvious charges, the heinous charges of abusing young girls that are leveled against Maxwell. What are the politics around all this? Well, the uh, let's describe the story that's involved here, and that is that um, evidently uh, Jeffrey Epstein realized that there was a global market of very rich and powerful men uh, evidently interested in having sex with underage um, and very young girls. And Epstein figured out that it's kind of hard for him to directly go recruit those girls himself. He's a little bit of a creepy character himself. 
So he decided, listen, I kind of need a madam who's going to be my go-between, and she's the one who will uh, draw down the suspicions of these girls, lure them in on the idea that they're getting scholarships, or they're going to be hired, and they're going to find a way to move up in their career, or at least they're going to be massage therapists. And so uh, Ghislaine Maxwell agreed, shockingly, to play this disgusting kind of role. Now, obviously, the real fascination and the political implication is who is this, uh, who are the members of this privileged circle of obviously perverts who were being drawn into all this? That's the real story. And that story is being actively suppressed in the trial, not just by the media, not just by the judge, but by the prosecution itself. The prosecution has narrowed the scope of the trial. So it's like, let's get Ghislaine Maxwell for her role in trafficking these girls, but let's not say who she trafficked them to, who was involved, who were the pilots who flew to Lolita Island. Uh, let's get all of that redacted, sanitized, kept away from public view. So some very powerful people are being protected here. Here's everyone on this list that we have. Ten names found in Jeffrey Epstein's little black book, Dinesh, to the point about who is coming up in this trial, at least. Uh, Prince Andrew, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, uh, President Bill Clinton, former Harvard President Larry Summers, Alan Dershowitz, Leslie Wexner, Glenn Dubin, he's a billionaire, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, former Maine Senator George Mitchell. Uh, I, I gotta say, Dinesh, I mean, this is a who's who of the rich and powerful spending a lot of time with Jeffrey Epstein. Absolutely. And look, you know, the simple fact that someone's name appears in a book isn't by itself um, something that, course, that right. kind of, but, you have to make distinctions here. I noticed, for example, in the relatively few media accounts that name names, they'll say, for example, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Now, evidently, Trump uh, took a flight with Jeffrey Epstein from New York to Florida to go to Mar-a-Lago. That's a whole different matter than Bill Clinton, who took multiple journeys on Epstein's so-called, you know, Lolita Express. Apparently, Jeffrey Epstein went 17 times to the Clinton White House. Uh, you know, there you see Gillian Maxwell in the picture of, of uh, Chelsea Clinton's wedding, and she's in the front row, you know, peeking in. So what I'm getting at is it looks like powerful people like Bill Clinton are being protected here. And I think that is really what leaves a very bad taste in, the, in um, when, when we're trying to follow what the full story is here. It's amazing to me, Dinesh, that we have been, I think it's pretty clear, uh, we've, been, we've been seeing evidence that shows that Epstein was running a surveillance operation in some of his properties, and yet I have not seen or heard about any of that surveillance tape, whatever, in whichever New York, Palm Beach, Pedophile Island, actually ensnaring anybody. So I mean, there are cameras everywhere, but no one of, of prominence, no one of note was ever caught on these cameras. That seems strange. It's not only strange, it's just downright unbelievable. It's also downright unbelievable that Maxwell herself wouldn't be a walking encyclopedia of knowledge. And so uh, she would presumably should be only the starting point of now dropping in on all these people to find out what role they play. This, it's inconceivable that they were not knowing participants in the Epstein operation. And, and frankly, if he was shaking them down, that only makes the story more interesting and complex. 
complex. In other words, he was threatening these people in some way or threatening to expose them, which means that powerful people in politics were compromised by this guy Epstein and his sidekick, Ghislaine Maxwell. I just want to get your take, uh, Dinesh, on a very, very different story. We're going to switch gears here for a second and have you react to this clip of a middle school in Massachusetts that's offering safe spaces to students after the verdicts in the Kyle Rittenhouse and Ahmad Arbery cases. Watch this. And finally, space four, titled Questions and Discussions for Students of Color. You will go to this space to come together with other Bigelow students of color to process and get answers to any questions that you may have regarding these two cases. They're, they're racially segregating kids to process court cases that have nothing to do with the kids? Seems kind of weird. Well, I mean, the first thing is probably these kids don't hear about these cases unless they're told about it in the school. And that's particularly true about the Arbery case. Now, ironically, it's hard to see why the Arbery case should cause racial trauma on, on kids of color. The, the Arbery defendants were convicted, uh, and so the system worked. I think it worked in the Rittenhouse case as well. And besides, the Rittenhouse case showed no racial motive at all. After one year of talking about Kyle Rittenhouse as a white supremacist, not a shred of evidence surfaced that he he was. I mean, the irony is that the racial cases here are things like the Jussie Smollett case, where ultimately race was being actively used to fake this hoax, to create this kind of false sense uh, that we're living in a society where a black gay man will automatically targeted just for going out to eat a sandwich. So where race is present, the left tries to hide it. And when race is not a factor, even in the Chauvin case, uh, when you look at the trial itself, there was not, hardly any evidence whatever that Derek Chauvin was motivated by racism against George Floyd. Dinesh, good to see you. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Violent crime is on the rise nationwide, and the left seems to be in denial about it. Coming up, the Manhattan Institute's Rafael Mangual stops by to break down the latest news. Let's talk about protecting your online data first. Big tech is taking advantage of us. They mine our data, they sell it, and guess what? We don't benefit from any of that. If you think your emails and texts, by the way, are private, your messages, all that, they're not. This is where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss-hosted. They use their own servers in Switzerland have no ties to American big tech companies. With Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best email platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy. It's unmatched. Look, there's a reason Secure built their company the way they did. We need to make a stand and take back our privacy from the big tech monopolies. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month for full access. That's nothing. Go to secure.com today and create your secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. S-E-K-U-R.com. Promo code BUCK. We'll be right back with more Hold The Line. A surge in crime and smash and grab robberies is putting more pressure on the Biden administration to act fast. The White House says it's working with state and local law enforcement to fight the rise in violence plaguing U.S. cities. Watch. The president and members of our administration have been longtime advocates for uh, supporting and funding the COPS program, something where the president proposed almost $300 million in additional uh, assistance through his budget from what it was last year. But a key sheriff's group and cops on the ground are pushing back against this claim, saying the White House 
isn't doing anywhere near enough to tackle the crime wave. Join me now to discuss senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, Rafael Mangual. Rafael, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me back. Listen to, if you would, what the president of the National Sheriff's Association had to say about Saki's statement this week. I want to get your reaction in a moment. I believe that she has confused old data with the new environment of crime we have across the country right now. $300 million across every jurisdiction across the country would equal about $18,000 per jurisdiction. How is that going to help? I don't think so. What do you think? Well, I think he's exactly right. I mean, you know, the country is in the middle of you know, not an unprecedented crime spike in terms of level, but certainly in terms of level of change from uh, you know one year to the next. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is because there uh, have been you know a significant decline in the resources the police have at their disposal. The number one resource being police themselves. If you go back to 2013, there were well over 700,000 cops working in the U.S. That number has now dropped below 680,000. You have fewer people with more work to do, which means that they're going to need a lot more than just a few thousand dollars uh, per jurisdiction to get the job done. Uh, what needs to be done is something along the lines of what was done by Joseph Biden himself in 1994, which was a massive program aimed at scaling up hiring more high-quality police officers in jurisdictions across the country because they're going to be the first line of defense against the sort of crimes that we're seeing tick up. It's not only the White House that's lying about crime data in the country, it's also the media. In your latest article titled, Yes, the Crime Wave is as bad as you think, you say that progressives are gaslighting the public by claiming things used to be worse, pointing out what one CNN journalist said the crime stats, uh, that one CNN journalist said the crime stats lie, writing in an article the murder rate in 2020 was about 6.2 per 100,000 people, but that's about 40% below what it was in the 1980s and 1990s when homicides peaked in the United States. These numbers are no doubt alarming, but it's important to put them in context with America's history of lethal violence. Can you describe why this is not a fair way to get into these and, and why this isn't really the takeaway that people should have? Yeah, I mean, this this comparison to the bad old days of the 90s, 1990s raises a few questions. One uh, question is, why on earth would we compare ourselves to the worst time ever as a barometer for success today? Uh, the idea that we're better off than the worst time uh, is certainly not a, a point of encouragement. But that, that talking point, which has become increasingly common, it ignores two really important realities. See, the, the national crime rate is an aggregation of crime across the country scaled up against the, the population. The problem with that number is that we don't live in the aggregate. Nobody lives in the aggregate. We live in particular places at particular times, and national homicide rates, national crime rates, don't really give us an accurate uh, sense of what the risks are that we face given where we live and work. And so, you know, I mentioned in the article that the fact that a few Chicago suburbs might offset the impact that the city of Chicago might have in the national murder rate, that's little consolation to the people who are stuck living on the southwest sides, which are basically turning into war zones as we speak. The other thing uh, that that talking point ignores is that it's just not true for a growing number of jurisdictions across the country. So that piece lists 31 different cities that have either surpassed their 1990s peaks in the last two years or are flirting with surpassing those levels. In Chicago, for example, you have to go back to 1996 to see crime levels as bad as what they're seeing now. Uh, Columbus just broke their record. Philadelphia just broke their all-time record. Baltimore broke its record in 2019 and is flirting with that record again this year. Um, the, these are really, really troubling statistics. And just talking people down by saying, well, it's not as bad as it used to be uh, is, is not uh, the sort of response that I think uh, responsible policymakers should be leaning on. And what is your response, Raphael, to some of the uh, so-called progressive prosecutors out there 
um, including Gascon in Los Angeles, Krasner in Philadelphia, who, considering the greater attention on issues because of work that folks like you are doing to bring the statistics and the reality to light, they're starting to feel, these prosecutors, the pressure uh, out there and the numbers are not lying. But it seems like they are because they tell us, okay, well, in the case of Krasner and Gascon specifically, we don't have a crime problem. Maybe murders are up a little bit, but everything else is down. What is that? Yeah, well, I, this is another one of the favorite talking points that they like to lean on. They like to aggregate all crime categories together just to get to a point at which they can say crime is down, even though we know homicide one really matters because it costs society a lot. A life lost is very, very significant in its impact on a given community. Uh, but two, you know, the homicide statistics are much harder to sort of massage and, and manipulate. The other thing is, is that a lot of crime categories decreased in 2020 and have remained relatively low in 2021 because of the shutdowns related to COVID. The number of opportunities to commit certain crimes just simply don't exist at the same level that they used to. So the fact that those categories are down, which is exactly what you would expect during a shutdown, that's not really a point of encouragement. And you know, maybe someone like Larry Krasner sincerely doesn't uh, consider the fact that homicides are now double what they were in 2015. Uh, maybe he doesn't consider that a crisis, but he should. Right. I mean, if you look at the, the three full years that he's been in office, 2018, 19 and 21, more than 100 additional people are dying every year in his city than the three years before he took office. Uh, if I were him, this would be something I should worry about. Unfortunately, in part, probably because you know he was reelected during an off year election that just doesn't get a lot of attention. Uh, you know, voters don't seem to have really caught on to this. And, and he was able to sail to a big uh, to, to a, a, a victory and a reelection again this year. What is the single biggest factor in all the research you've done, Raphael? All these cities, huge spikes in violent crime. It's, it's just not even debatable anymore. There's a crime problem, not for anybody who's living in reality. Is there one factor or are there just too many coming together? I think there. I think what we're seeing is a confluence of many factors. But one of the ones that I've been focusing on quite heavily is is the role of repeat offenders and the lack of incapacitation in our system. And one of the things that you see in every single one of these really egregious crime stories is that the alleged perpetrator will have a very very lengthy criminal history, multiple arrests, usually an active criminal justice status like being out on probation, out on parole, or out on pretrial release. We need to do a better job of holding these people. When you have a homicide suspect who has 10, 20, 30 prior arrests, what that tells you is that the police are doing a pretty good job in, ter in terms of directing their resources at the biggest problems in their communities. The broader system seems to be failing in its role, which is to hold these people accountable and keep them off the street for a significant period of time. Rafael, thanks so much. Always insightful. Thank you. New York Governor Kathy Hochul today announced a statewide indoor mask mandate, which will take effect on Monday. Why? Because the last one worked out so well, I guess. We got more on the latest COVID hysteria with author and noted Mandate skeptic Alex Berenson, we come back. I want to tell you more about my digital money. Crypto's heating up, Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of tokens out there. But where do you get started if you've never bought crypto tokens before, right? Well, my digital money. It's one of the few US-based crypto companies that'll answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins. Look, the crypto market is on the move. And this could be a great time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. You need a team of dedicated professionals who have your back and speak to you honestly. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. Alex Berenson joins us next. Stay with us. The most important fact about the coronavirus pandemic, which has turned the world upside down since 2020, 
is that the responses of governments around the world have been epic overreactions driven by a confluence of public and private interests, all of them insisting they're just following the science. Since the lockdowns began, Alex Berenson has exposed the hysteria and manipulation behind the worst failure of public policy when it comes to health in memory. Alex has a new book out, Pandemia, How Coronavirus Hysteria Took Over Our Government Rights and Lives. You should get a copy. It is a bestseller. He joins me now to discuss. Alex, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks. For, it is a bestseller, but not to the New York Times. The New York Times yeah. will not put it on the bestseller list. Not a surprise. They're horrible <laughs> no. and unethical in many, many respects. But anyway, uh, tell me, where are we right now? I mean, basically, we're coming up on almost two years of this thing, right? And we're at the end of, of 2021 now. We've got the mass vaccination campaign. What have we learned, Alex? What's real? What's not? Uh, well, we've learned that COVID, at least the original strain and the Delta strain and all the other strains so far, cannot break society. That they are, uh, you know, that they can cause a lot of uh, uh, problems if they get into nursing homes, if they get into hospital settings, but that they should be managed as medical problems, not as a societal, uh, you know, something that could potentially collapse society. And we've learned that all those people who for all those years said, you know, most of the stuff we try to do to stop a pandemic doesn't work, whether it's travel bans, whether it's, you know, uh, mass lockdowns, whether it's school closures, uh, that stuff basically has very limited efficacy. We've learned that the ancients were right and that, uh, that you know, that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. And in terms of the vaccines, I'm sure this is something you go into in some detail in Pandemia in the book. I do remember we were told back in May of this year, not that long ago, get the shot and you're done. Your shot is your ticket to freedoms. In fact, now the prime minister of New Zealand is running around saying, oh, get excited. If you get the shot, you get all these freedoms for six months. Uh, <laughs> and while she's saying it out loud, others are a little more circumspect about it. That seems like a pretty big change. So how do we get here with the vaccines? What's, again, true and not true? Sure. Um, and so, you know, I do talk about the vaccines toward the end of pandemia uh, because the, you know, the, the, the crisis of propaganda and the crisis of misinformation and overpromising that we saw last year has uh, been on steroids this year with the vaccines. Because, you know, I, I think that, you know, we can go into why that is. I think the broadest possible explanation is that the powers that be frightened a lot of people, including some of, you know, themselves too, last year, and they sort of promised the vaccines as the way out. And unfortunately, the vaccines just don't work that well. I mean, I, I think it is abundantly clear. Nobody at this time last year thought that we would have a worse 2021 than 2020 uh, you know, in places that were 90% adult vaccinated, like most of Europe, uh, or, you know, even, you know, Canada, even the U.S., the U.S., people complain about our vaccination rates. Um, we are at 60% of the entire population vaccinated and, uh, you know, and more adults. And so, um, you know, if the vaccines worked nearly as well as they were supposed to last year, this, this would have ended a long time ago. They just don't. They, they, they have a very short-term window of efficacy, and then they fail after a matter of months, and that's why there's this desperate push to get people boosted. And then we're not, we haven't even talked about you know, the potential risks, which are much, much higher than were realized last year. And what are, the real, what are about, the real vaccine risks? I mean, what data can we point to that's solid, that's clear, that is not being, uh, you know, that, that's, that's not putting us out on the edge where they can start to scream disinformation? So, 
I, I mean, that's a great question because it's very, very hard to get good data. The good data we have comes from the early, you know, the early clinical trial data, which showed that these vaccines cause a lot of side effects immediately after they're taken, systemic side effects. Um, we also have very good data showing that they can cause heart problems in young adults, especially young men. They can cause That's the, my, the myocarditis. Myocarditis, pericarditis, yes. And the question that in a real, you know, if our public health authorities were doing their job and people weren't terrified of asking reasonable questions about these vaccines, the question that we would be asking is, is that its own thing or is that a symbol of something much larger, both in terms of uh, sort of potential heart injury and even bigger than that, in terms of potential cardiac you know, system injury from inflammation, and even bigger than that, uh, a potential inflammatory process that somehow shows up in this one place in an obvious way, but might be affecting other parts of the body. The problem is that work is not being done. It's certainly not being done publicly and transparently. And whenever you point out that, for example, there's been a huge number of side effect reports about the vaccines, uh, the the not just the public health authorities, but the media scream that you can't possibly talk about this, that none of this means anything. And so we're left actually with the biggest data set of all and, and arguably the most important data set of all, which is now screaming red in many countries. And that is all-cause mortality. So that that's just a record of everyone who dies for any reason, okay? You know, modern societies keep track of births and deaths. Even, even incompetent governments view that as an important job. And in countries like Germany, where they're, you know, pretty good at counting deaths and they do it and they release the numbers on an almost weekly basis in the last few months, especially in the last month in Germany, for example, but also the Netherlands, also the UK, um, all cause mortality is way up. And even if you exclude COVID deaths, even if COVID uh, deaths are set to zero, it's still far above normal. Now, I am not saying that we know the vaccines are causing that. There are other potential explanations, none of which, to my mind, are as plausible as the idea that there's some mechanism of injury with the vaccines that we need to figure out. But there are other potential explanations. But what I can tell you definitively, Buck, is that this needs to be examined by the best possible you know, physicians and scientists immediately. And there should probably be a commission set up to examine this right now. And probably we should halt all vaccinations and boosters for anybody who's not at extremely high risk from COVID right now. Now that will never happen, this is a fantasy, but in, you know, it is impossible now after, after months, not a week or two, but months of this to dismiss this as some kind of coincidence. You have, we have to investigate it. Alex, I wanna ask you to respond to Dr. Fauci here, good buddy of mine, good buddy of yours, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, on what we should do this holiday, and then I want you to tell us where we're going from here, what their plan is, watch. One thing that vaccinated people can feel comfortable, for example, let's take the holiday setting. You're with your family, you have grandparents and parents and children. When you get vaccinated and you have a vaccinated group and you are in an indoor setting, you can enjoy, as we have traditionally over the years, people should, if they invite people over their home, essentially ask and maybe require that people show evidence that they are vaccinated. I mean, I just, whatever caricatures I was making of Fauci a year ago, and I was making many of them, they didn't even do justice to what a lunatic I think he's become. Yes, he's become a lunatic. Uh, because they can't admit that the vaccines have failed, they're sort of pushing further and further to get people boosted because what the booster will do, we know, is you know, sort of increase your antibodies for uh, probably just a short period of time. 
in that time, you get some protection back. But we have no idea what the long-term consequence of that is, but we know that, you know, that can work in the short time. But for him to be telling people, look, there's no evidence that being vaccinated prevents you from being infected. There's no evidence that being vaccinated prevents you from transmitting this. There's no evidence that being vaccinated, um, uh, you know, if you're young, really materially changes your health outcomes if you are if you do get this now, if you're older, again, there's some there's some evidence of protection against severe disease and death. So why do I care if someone is vaccinated when they're just as likely to spread this to me, vaccinated or unvaccinated, and I'm just pretty much as likely to get it vaccinated or unvaccinated? What what like what is he talking about? And and here's the thing: his political advice or his medical advice is just being increasingly ignored by everyone outside of you know a few deep blue states, and you can. You can clearly see this and you can see the courts are pushing back. The United States has a tradition of individual rights and liberty and we are going back to it. I hope so. If not, Alex, I promise I'll get together a crew. We'll get you out of the gulag if Fauci has his way. Thanks for being with us though. Pandemia is the book. I have my copy at home. I'm on chapter two. Go pick up your copy, folks. Alex, thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me. Former Republican Senator Bob Dole, who passed away Sunday, trolls Democrats in his final letter that was read during his memorial service, making the most of his funeral from the other side. We'll bring you that coming up in quick hits. But if you ever wanted to invest in real estate but didn't have the time to do it on your own, didn't want to make rookie mistakes, I felt that way until a little over a year ago. I love the idea of real estate investment, but how do you get started? So when I met my friends at Done For Your Real Estate, they took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property, rented it out for me right away, managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process, the city, the house, the loan, getting a tenant in place, go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends can do for you. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey. The LAPD's union leader is telling people not to visit for the holidays, and if you have an Android speaker and ask it to sing a song, apparently it plays a creepy vaccine jingle. We'll play it for you in tonight's Quick Kits. But first, let's start with this. I mean, we've been talking a lot about crime here on the show because this is the worst it's been in almost 30 years nationwide. I mean, you look at the major cities, what's going on. You got to go back to the 1990s for murder levels to be what they are right now, to be at the equivalent of what they are right now for Cities like uh, Chicago, cities like Philadelphia. Philadelphia actually hit its all-time high. LA's having a rough time, too. In fact, things are going so poorly in Los Angeles when it comes to uh, law and order. Los Angeles Police Department's union leaders telling people, don't visit for the holidays. My message to anybody considering coming to Los Angeles, especially during the holiday season, is don't. We can't guarantee your safety. It, it is really, really out of control. Um, you know, I said it to people before, it's like that movie Purge, you know, instead of 24 hours to commit your crime, the, these bad people have 365 days to commit whatever they want. Hmm. Yeah, don't come. It's like the Purge in LA these days. People don't feel safe. They don't feel safe because political leadership has abandoned them to the criminal element because they have convinced themselves, the Democrat Party has convinced itself that the primary issue when it comes to criminal justice and the need for reform stems from being too harsh on criminals, for enforcing laws too strictly. And yet, what do we see going on right now? Right, it's actually the opposite problem. 
Apparently, if you have an Android and you ask it to sing a song, it will actually sing a creepy vaccine song. Listen to this. Hey, Google, sing a song. Let's celebrate that we have the vaccine to help us bring a change to this whole routine. It can help us build our immunities while taking care of our communities. Vaccines are safe and an important step towards opening up and shaking hands again. And going somewhere we couldn't visit for months, protecting ourselves and the world at once. Scientists work night and day. In record time, they found a way, like superheroes and masks and gloves. Helping us get back to what we love. Yeah. First of all, it's not even a very catchy tune, right? It's not even like the baby shark of vaccine jingles. I mean, it's, I can't even remember it right now. Also, weird, right? Weird. Uh, apparently, this was a shock, the LAPD is using force to vaccinate people with special needs? Watch this. Good heavens. What was that all about? I guess, hopefully. She or her family wanted to get the shot in the LAPD. Ride it out. I, mean, I got to look into the backstory of that one some more. But certainly, you watch these things. Remember that photo of the parent who was getting uh, her child vaccinated? This went viral recently. And she has this look of total satisfaction and happiness. And the kid is crying and pain doesn't want it. I know that these are just the optics of it, but those optics stay with you. Bob Dole was a great American hero. And in his Final letter before he died, he, uh, this was read during his memorial service. Uh, in, in the letter, though, he trolled some Democrats. Listen. Here are his words. As I make the final walk on my life's journey, I do so without fear, because I know that I will again not be walking alone. I know that God will be walking with me. I also confess that I'm a bit curious to learn if I am correct in thinking that heaven will, will, will look a lot like Kansas. And to see, like others who have gone before me, if I will still be able to vote in Chicago. Vote in Chicago. Bob Dole. Great man. As ever tonight's Hold the Line, the No Spin News of Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.